turn your Bibles with me this morning to 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 8. 2 Kings 24, verse 8, and, and uh, the Bible reads for us, Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. And his mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. 2 Kings 24.10, At that time the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers. And the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. And he carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem and all the province and the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even ten thousand captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained, save the poorest sort of the people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon and the king's mother and the king's wives and his officers and the mighty of the land. Those carried he into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And all the men of might, even seven thousand and craftsmen and smiths a thousand, all that were strong and apt for war, even them the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. And the king of Babylon made Mattaniah his father's brother king in his stead and changed his name to Zedekiah. Now, Nebuchadnezzar appoints Jehoiakim's son, Jehoiachin, uh, to be the new king. It lasted only three months. He was obviously replaced. He was 18 years at the time. And what we find here is that this humiliating event would be uh, foretold and prophesied of by Jeremiah. And uh, in verse 26 of Jeremiah 22, And I will cast thee out and thy mother that bare thee into another country, where ye were not born, and there shall ye die. But to the land whereunto they desire to return, thither shall they not return. And he would go on and on about a, child, a man, man being childless and not prospering. This is all the stuff that Jeremiah is prophesying. He said, Babylon is coming. There's nothing you can do to stop it. And they would take all of these treasures from the king's house. God says, listen, I don't want the worship here anymore. You have turned idolatry so much, you are under the just hand of God. You're under God's punishing hand. And you know, some of them, of these vessels had already been removed, and, and uh, they had taken some of the royal family. This is where Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, would be taken as well during this period of time. And uh, what is happening in this precursor to the final events that would happen around the year 586 B.C. when the temple is completely destroyed, uh, I mean, there's horrible things. Nebuchadnezzar would return. But this is just a foretaste of all of the devastation the people will, will, will undergo. I'd like you to look with me at Isaiah chapter 39, verses 1 through 8. We're going to look at kind of this foretaste that was even prophesied before all of this would happen. In Isaiah chapter 39, you want know, to know something. As you think about all of this devastation that's coming and uh, the Jeremiah is prophesying of, our own Lord prophesies to us, of the end of the world and all the devastation that's coming upon this, this land and this earth. God tells us there's going to be unspeakable horrors. We are much like, if you want to think about, we have the message, just as Jeremiah does, of the devastation of this world. We have uh, the eternal consequences that are coming. 
we have, if you would, I would say these prophetic words, not that we're prophets, but we have prophetic words from God, God's holy preserved word. And here in Isaiah chapter 39, at that time, Meredith Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. And Hezekiah was glad of them and showed them the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment, and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures, there was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. Then said he, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All that is in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. and nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. That is a very sad indictment of what we see here, that God says everything is going to be taken. The pride of Hezekiah would result in the loss of everything there, of the king's house and the temple, and the pride. They came in in innocence, they came in in friendliness, only to take it all. Now, Jehoiakim was a prisoner in Babylon for 37 years, released by Nebuchadnezzar's son and heir, evil Merodach Baladin. And the false prophet Hananiah had predicted that he would be set free to return to Judah. But the king remained in exile, though treated with kindness after his pardon. And Hananiah, as we had mentioned, I had mentioned last week about Hananiah, Hananiah was a false prophet. And, uh, you know, whenever the king of Babylon displayed his special prisoners on royal occasions, he would often... Uh, he would put Jehoiakim's throne above the thrones of the other captive kings. And it was kind of an insult. He was kind of playing this and getting the rivalry between them. And uh, Jeremiah predicted none of his kids, none of Jehoiakim's kids, would sit on the throne. They would lose their city. They would lose their temple, as we would find uh, in another passage of Scripture in 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 18, picking up where we left off. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For through the anger of the Lord it came to pass in Jerusalem and Judah, until he had cast them out of his presence, that Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. It came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, and the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his hosts against Jerusalem, and pitched against it, and they built forts against it round about. And the city was besieged into the eleventh year of King Zedekiah, and on the ninth day, on the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city, and there was no bread for the people of the land. And the city was broken up, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls, which is by the king's garden. Now the Chaldees were against the city round about, and the king went the way toward the plain. And the army of the Chaldees pursued after king, overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army were scattered from him. So they took the king. Brought him up to the king of Babylon, to Riblah, and they gave judgment upon him. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and bound him with fetters of brass, and carried him to Babylon. What a horrible, horrible position. Jehoiakim reigns for three months. 
He's exiled. Zedekiah comes, ruled for 11 years. He pretends to submit to Babylon while at the same time courting Egypt, trying to get assistance. Ezekiel 17, 11 through 18 will tell us that. He took an oath in the name of the Lord that he'd be faithful to the king of Babylon, though he was not faithful to his, his promise. He made diplomatic content with Babylon and even visited the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And yet, you know, he would also, you know, seek for envoys from Egypt to help him against Babylon. He was trying to secretly be a friend while coming behind and trying to stab Babylon in the back. In the year 605, during the reign of Jehoiakim, the Babylonians had deported some of, you, uh, some of Judah's best young men to be trained for official duty. And among them, obviously, Daniel and his three friends. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The second deportation was in 597, and uh, Zedekiah still favored getting help from Egypt rather than the Babylonians. And Nebuchadnezzar responded by marching his army to Jerusalem, killing Zedekiah's children before his eyes, saying, I am the one in charge, and then putting out Zedekiah's eyes. You know, Nebuchadnezzar knew it was completely unwise from a secular perspective to fight two wars, fighting Egypt, fighting against uh, Judah. And so he said, well, I need to go secure Judah and Israel. And so he does that. He goes and he gets a strong front, defeats them handedly. And, uh, you know, he stopped Egypt as well, returns to Jerusalem and the punishment of Zedekiah. And the siege of Jerusalem began about the year January 15th, 588 B.C., continues until July 18th, 586, when Jerusalem would be utterly destroyed and there in the first temple. They'd break through the walls, they'd loot. As I said, they took all the silver and the gold off the door handles, they took uh, the treasures of the king, they took the treasuries uh, of the Lord's house. And the prophet Jeremiah had counseled Zedekiah and his officers. He says, I want you to surrender. I'd like you to look with me at Jeremiah chapter 38. Now this seems a, a little backwards, but in Jeremiah chapter 38, Jeremiah chapter 38, Jeremiah chapter 38 verse 1, and then Shephatiah the son of Metan, and Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, and Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken unto all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, He that remaineth in this city shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. But he that goeth forth to the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, shall live. For he shall have his life for a prey, and shall live. Thus saith the Lord, This city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore the princes said unto the king, We beseech thee, let this man be put to death, for thus he weakeneth the hands of the men of war that remain in the city, and the hands of all the people, in speaking such words unto them. For this man seeketh not the welfare of this people, but the hurt. Then Zedekiah the king said, Behold, he is in your hand, for the king is not he that can do anything against you. Then took they Jeremiah and cast him in the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamelech, that was in the court of the prison, and they let down Jeremiah with cords. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire, so Jeremiah sunk in the mire. Now when Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, the king then sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech, went forth out of the king's house and spake to the king. Jeremiah says, surrender, surrender, surrender. Submit. 
He says, I want you to follow Babylon. And the people are like, hey, Jeremiah, you're discouraging our army. Jeremiah, you're against the nation. He said, I'm not against the nation. I'm for the, 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 I'm for the propagation of the people. You know, the officers put him under guard. They put him in a dirty, filthy dungeon. No one wanted to listen to Jeremiah. I mean, Jeremiah had God's words, but no one wanted to listen to him. I mean, they, they put him in a pit with a mire, that thick, gross, disgusting mud at the bottom. Probably with that green algae and some other stuff that was there, and who knows. But the king would refuse to accept Jeremiah's offer. Zedekiah asked Jeremiah to pray for him. But the king was a very proud man who refused to humble himself and pray for himself. You know, and the soldiers finally enter the city. Zedekiah is taken. He flees, but he's caught. A refusal of the dad to submit to the Lord's words would lead to his sons having their, his sons being killed and Zedekiah having his eyes cut out. Jeremiah's prophecy had come true. Jeremiah chapter 34. Verses 1 through 7 tells us this. And Zedekiah would face Nebuchadnezzar. Ezekiel and Babylon had also prophesied that the king would attempt to escape and he would be captured. You know what? Zedekiah was blinded by his enemies, literally and figuratively. The Babylonians blinded him, but he was also blinded by the idea that Egypt could help him rather than God. Everything is removed in the year August 14th, 586. They break down the walls, set fire to Jerusalem, set fire to the temple. And the first temple that was built by Jeremiah, or excuse me, built by Solomon, excuse me, was burned. They capture the religious rulers. There's no longer any religious rulers. The people had opposed Jeremiah and given the king poor counsel and had slain them before Nebuchadnezzar at Riblah. Here, these priests had polluted God's house with idols. They encouraged the people to break the covenant of God. They said, hey, we can live however we want. We'll let you do what you want. We'll, we'll do it this way. And in this, there's a pollution. The leaders of that nation, they refused to listen to God's servants, and Jeremiah as one of them. There was no remedy. The day of judgment was there upon them. Idolatry may not bring immediate judgment. Idolatry may not bring immediate judgment, but it will bring judgment down the road. It might be favorable for a season. Only the poor people would remain in the land to take care of what was left. Just a handful of people. And King Zedekiah lived in Babylon until his death in fulfillment of the Lord's promise. He was given a state funeral, though he didn't deserve it. In 2 Kings chapter 25, if you have your Bibles this morning, 2 Kings chapter 25, as we're talking about going, we're nearly done with the book of 2 Kings. Today's probably the last day. We'll be starting the book of Habakkuk there in the Minor Prophets. <clears throat> 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 22, and as for the people that remained in the land of Judah, whom... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. Even over them he made Gedaliah, the son of Ahihem, the son of Shaphan, ruler. And when all the captains of the armies, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor, there came to Gedaliah to Mizpah even Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and Johanan, the son of Korea, and Sariah, the son of Tanhumeth, uh, the Natophathite, and Jezaniah, the son of a Mahachathite, <laughs> they and their men, and Gedaliah swore to them and to their men and said unto them, 
Fear not to be the servants of the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. But it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the seed royal, came, and ten men with him, and smoke at Eliah, that he died. And the Jews and the Chaldees that were with him at Mizpah, and all of the people, both small and great, and the captains of the armies arose and came to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldees. And it came to pass in the seventh and thirtieth year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, that evil Meredith, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, did lift up the head of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, out of prison. And he spake kindly to him, and set his throne above the throne of the kings that were with him in Babylon, and changed his prison garments. And he did eat bread continually before him all the days of his life. And his allowance was a continual allowance given him of the king at daily rate for every day, all the days of his life. Now, Jeremiah had an option here. He, the people would lose their hope. Ba- Judah's overrun, Jerusalem's overrun, Israel's already long gone. And, you know, like a true shepherd, Jeremiah has an opportunity to go to Babylon or he has an opportunity to stay with the very impoverished people there in Judah. And as a shepherd, he remains with the people. Uh, He would reject, even though the people rejected him for 40 years. Jeremiah had a very long ministry, though no one listened to him. His heart was broken when he saw the ruins of his city and temple. 2 Chronicles 36, 21 tells us this. The people had not allowed the land to have the rest that God commanded. And I want you to look with me at Leviticus chapter 26, actually 25. Leviticus chapter 25. God gave a specific thing on how to, as a farmer, he says, I've given you instructions on how to farm your land so you have the most profitable land. Well, people think I've got a better plan. I'm going to do it my way. And as a result, they would have a lack of crops The land would be destroyed because they just weren't listening to what God was trying to tell them. God has a designated order and structure of which things work. We'll talk about that in the morning service, but in Leviticus chapter 25, God gives them how to keep and till the land to get maximum fruit bearing. Our God cares not only for the spiritual, but he also cares for the physical. How do I get crops to feed my family? How do I get crops to get a to paycheck, right? Leviticus chapter 25, God gives to Moses, and the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Leviticus 25, verse 2, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord six years. Thou shalt sow thy field. And six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. What's God saying? He says, I want a fallow year. You think about it, fallow year. I don't want you to deal anything with the land this year. Let it rest. The land needs to rest. Rejuvenate all those minerals for the next crops. Verse 4, but in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest in the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. Verse 5, that which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest, thou shalt not reap. Neither the gather the grapes of thy vine and dress, for it is a year of rest in the land. And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you. For thee 
and for thy servant, and for thy maid, and for thy hired servant, and for thy stranger that sojourneth with me, and for the cattle, and for the beasts that are in the land, shall all the increase thereof be meat. If you were to look at Leviticus chapter 26, 32 through 35, uh, in this passage of scripture, if you don't, let's look at here, just a few verses, Leviticus chapter 26, God says, if you don't give the land rest, then I'm going to put you in captivity, and it will get rest. Israel would end up going into captivity for 70 years. It's going to have a long rest. Because God says the land needs to rest. God has a, when God says something, he does so for a purpose. God doesn't just say it because he's trying to be mean or he's trying to uh, take away from us. No, God has a reason why he tells us what to do. He has, he has a, his desire is our best. You see, God loves us and cares for us, and he wants this. And so here in uh, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 32, the Bible tells us, And I will bring the land into desolation, and your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the heathen, and will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths, as long as it lieth desolate. Ye be in your enemy's land, even then shall the land rest and enjoy your Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest. Because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when you dwelt upon it. He would find the same, and you know, Daniel would weep over this very thing in Daniel 9. But he's saying here, what Israel did is they neglected the Sabbath, and they neglected to put God first. Give time every week between them and God to come and worship the Lord. They had neglected, I mean, they were so in tune with trying to make an income that they neglected to put God first. We've got to keep working, keep that money running. And the Babylonians, and, and so God says, listen, if you're not going to obey, well, then I'm going to give the land rest. Because I'm going to scatter you off the land so you can't work it. And you're not going to be able to stop this from happening. You know, the Babylonians would appoint Gedaliah governor of Judah, and he was a grandson of the godly Shaphan, a, a prophet who, or a priest who had served under King Josiah, and, uh, and this man who faithfully supported uh, Jeremiah. And it says in Jeremiah 26, 24, Nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. And so Jeremiah has some people that are trying to advocate for his uh, help. And uh, Gedaliah assured the Jews who remained in the land of Babylon that they would be treated well if they would only cooperate. And, and, and so what had happened is certain, I mean, the people are excited about this, or, you know, there's a few people that listen. But then there's this, this contingency of people who aren't happy with the direction that God put Judah into captivity. They're angry. They're like, no, we need to fight for our land. Fight to the last man. And God says, hey, you need to embrace that you're in captivity and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't stop it. My hand, I've allowed the king of Babylon to do this, so embrace it, get married, have kids, settle down, and just go forward. This is what God said. And, you know, and God's purpose here is giving them hope. He says, listen, you can settle down in Babylon. It's going to be okay. You can have a home. You can have kids. You can have, I mean, all of this. You can have a settled life. It just won't be in the promised land. But some of these insurgents who are trying to fight for their land, and, and as a patriotic thing, patriotism is a good thing. However, 
patriotism that overrides and oversteps God's word is now idolatry. Because patriotism for your country is okay as long as God wants your country to be. But if God says, I'm done with your country, your country's going into captivity, you can't stop it. You can try to fight it, and you can fight all day long, but if God isn't fighting the battle for you, you're fighting a losing battle. And so Ishmael comes up with a group of insurgents, fights against Gedaliah's authority. Look, and so, you know, Ishmael had uh, designs on the throne and resented Gedaliah's appointment as governor. Now, and he didn't want to submit. Now, I want you to look with me at James chapter 4. We understand this. Where does all this contention come from, right? There's an, a, Ishmael is going to have an assassination plot against, Jer, uh, against Gedaliah. James chapter 4, the Bible tells us when these fightings and uh, conflict happen, there's a, very, there's a reason for it. In James chapter 4, verse 1, I'll get, get back here to Gedaliah and Ishmael in this whole situation here shortly. <clears throat> James chapter 4, verse 1. Hebrews, James, right? 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. James chapter 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war that ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not. Because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And, and God's desire, you know, the reason why Ishmael is not accepting of the authority of the Babylonians that God has instituted. He doesn't accept that authority. And hence, fighting ensues. Whenever there's conflict, there's always a, uh, there's pride present. The army officers told Gedaliah that the king of the Ammonites had sent Ishmael to take over the land. You know, and uh, Jeremiah chapter 40, would you look with me here? We're going to look at a few passages here in Jeremiah chapter 40. But in this battle here, as James discusses, the fighting comes, there's, a, there's an envy. Ishmael wants power. It's another power struggle. I mean, a lot of politics is all around. I mean, you think about politicians today. I mean, they'll say, oh, my, my opponent is, has done bad in this area. Well, possibly so. But you've done bad too because... You know, every politician is out there to keep themselves in the place of power and keep the paychecks coming in. Ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what you're looking at, right? The politicians, most of them, I would say, I think there might be a few, but I think there are very few and far between who are there for, you know, sincere reasons that I want to actually fully help the people. And that might start off that way, but the corruption of, the, of, of politics in general will lead people into a lot of, uh, uh, I would say, a lot of pride and a lot of corruption, Jeremiah chapter 40, verse 13. There's an upheaval at this time because Judah and the people within it are not accepting that they're in captivity. They won't. They won't accept it. Excuse me. Verse 13, moreover, Johanan, the son of Korea, 
And all the captains of the forces that were in the fields came to Gedaliah to Mizpah and said unto him, Dost thou certainly know that Baalus, the king of the Ammonites, hath sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to slay thee? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, believed them not. Then Johanan, the son of Korea, spake to Gedaliah and Mizpah secretly, saying, Let me go, I pray thee. And I will slay Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and no man shall know it. Wherefore should he slay thee, that all the Jews which are gathered unto thee shall be scattered, and the remnant in Judah perish? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, said unto Johanan, the son of Korea, Thou shalt not do this thing, for thou speakest falsely of Ishmael. He wouldn't believe him. There's a large group of people, verses 11 and 12 uh, of the same chapter. Likewise, when all the Jews were in Moab, that were in Moab, and among the Ammonites and in Edom, and that were in all the countries, heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant of Judah. And then he said over them, Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, even all the Jews, excuse me, returned out of all places, whither they were driven and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah and to Mizpah and gathered wine and summer fruits very much. Now, <clears throat> this man who comes, Johanan, he comes to get a lie. He says, listen, your life is in danger. Ah, I don't believe you. Ishmael would never do that. This whole period of time with the allegiance, where is people's allegiance? Is it to Babylon? Is it to Judah? Is it to one other, na- to Egypt, right? I mean, that's where... Uh, Zedekiah's problem was is that he had an affinity or a, a love of Egypt. Ishmael would end up killing Gedaliah, taking the people captive, and uh, Johanna and the other officers would end up having to rescue them. Ishmael and eight of his men fled to the Ammonites. Johanna would become the new leader and the remnant, and they decided that all should flee to Egypt rather than obey Jeremiah's message and stay in the land. In a show of hypocritical piety, Johanan and the leaders asked Jeremiah to seek the mind of the Lord about the matter, and he agreed to do so. And the Lord kept them waiting for 10 days. Jeremiah chapter 42, if you're there in Jeremiah, let's turn there. I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish that this morning. We'll pick up some people here shortly. Jeremiah chapter 42. Now, this passage of Scripture, have you ever had someone say, I know it's the Lord's will to do this. And you're thinking, this really flies in the face of scriptural principles. This, this can't be the Lord's will. I'm like, okay, if you've made up your mind, I'm not going to tell you otherwise, but it doesn't mean, I mean, it flies in the very face of scriptural principles and truths. I know it's God's will. Okay, you're going to get a great, you know, and, and they go into this idea, well, here in Jeremiah 42, verse 7, it's divided up, the message is in three parts, verses 7 through 12. Jeremiah 42, verse 7, it came to pass after ten days, the word of the Lord came into Jeremiah, then called he Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people from the least, even to the greatest, and said unto them, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto whom you sent me to present your supplication before him. If you will still abide in this land, then will I build you and not pull you down. And I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I repent me of the evil that I have done unto you. Be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom ye are afraid. Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord. For I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. And I will show mercies unto you. 
that he may have mercy upon you and cause you to return to your own land. God gives the first promise here. He says, listen, I will be with you and I'll protect you. It's easy in our life to get our minds set. I'm going to do this. God's saying, I don't want you to do that. I'm going to do it. I have the ability, right? Remember, there was a time in my life back in finishing up school, uh, you know, <laughs> finishing up Bible college, and I'm going to do this. And I had some direction, moved forward, applied, got accepted. I was like, great. I went in a particular direction. And then the door shut because God says, I'm not in it. God comes back after 10 days of Jeremiah praying and asking the Lord for direction, and he says, listen, I want you just to stay in the land. I want you just to follow me, and I'll be, I'll be with you. I'll protect you. Can I tell you, as I think about the state of our nation, the state of the United States, and the absolute decay of the nations, I mean, the politicians and all the evil and all the wickedness that is going on, you know what, there's a sadness in the direction of our nation. It's not like when I was younger or you were younger. Our nation is different. However, I realized that I said, you know what? No nation will be forever. It's going to fall. Some Most nations will fall within 250 years. In the year 2026, the United States reaches 250 that's where I'm originally from, the United States. And you know, it's sad. But I have to say, it's because of the wickedness of the nation. In just two years, you could potentially see the complete upheaval of our southern neighbor. What would we do if it was overtaken? Would we fall apart? People in Judah are falling apart, they don't know what to do. But God says, listen, I'm still with you. I'll save you. I'll deliver you. You know, even if the government changes to another entity, to another nation that would end up taking over the United States or take over Canada, God is still on the throne. It doesn't matter what happens in Ottawa. What happens is what happens in heaven. Who is on the throne? You know, and in verse 18, it goes on here, but if you say we will not dwell in this land, neither obey the voice of the Lord your God, saying no, but we will go into the land of Egypt where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor have hunger of bread, and there will we dwell, and now therefore hear the word of the Lord, ye remnant of Judah. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If ye wholly set your faces to enter into Egypt and to go to sojourn there, then it shall come to pass that the sword which ye feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and the famine that whereof you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there shall you die. So shall it be with all the men that set their faces to go into Egypt to sojourn there. They shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. That means disease. And none of them shall remain or escape from the evil that I will bring upon them. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as mine anger and my fury hath been poured forth upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so shall my fury be poured upon uh, be poured forth upon you when you shall enter into Egypt, and you shall be an execration and an astonishment and a curse and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. God says, listen, if you go to Egypt, you go to the world for help 
and encouragement and strength and uplifting, God says, listen, you're going to die. That's all against intuit, that's against human logic and common sense. But God says, stay here under the rule of the Babylonians and I'll save you. I'll be with you. I'll protect you. Again, it doesn't matter who the politician is. It matters who the ultimate authority is in our life. If the ultimate authority is government, we're in big trouble. If the ultimate authority is God, we can still be established in the land. There's no temporary residence. Then Jeremiah appeals. You know, he revealed the wickedness in the hearts of these men that would lie. Verse 19, the Lord has said concerning you, O ye remnant of Judah, go ye not into Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. For ye dissembled in your hearts when you sent me unto the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us and the Lord our God. And according to all that the Lord our God shall say, so declare unto us and we will do it. And now I have this day declared it to you. But ye have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God, nor anything for the which he has sent me unto you. Now therefore know certainly that ye shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence in the place whether ye desire to go into sojourn. Johanan is like many leaders or people today. They seek the will of God from various pastors, various friends, always hoping that they'll be told to do what they want to do, what they've already decided they're going to do. And when they're told that, they're like, woohoo, it's God's will. They go and do it, and they're like, hey, it didn't turn out like I thought it would. And in verses 1 through 7, the Jews reject God's message. You can read it on your own. I'll have to bring it to a close here shortly. But you can read verses 1 through 7. They don't obey the Lord's voice. They steal and take Jeremiah captive with them into Egypt. Jeremiah doesn't want to go. He says, I want to stay here. This is where God's put me. This is the people I'm to shepherd. I don't want to leave. Their mind was already made up. They just hoped that God was behind their actions. You see, we can have conceptions in our minds. This is what needs to happen, but it's not necessarily God's will. You can believe it so much in your heart it's God's will, but it's not God's will. Because it clearly violates certain things. God had given clear direction through Jeremiah. Don't do this. Stay in the land. Submit to God. Submit to Babylon and all will be okay. But this patriotism, this I'm going to run from the problem, I'm going to do it my way, rather than facing and standing where God wants you to stand, you flee and you have no protection. You see, when you flee and go your own way, you always lose God's protection. Because God's not going to stand with you when you go your own way. You don't have God's hand. You don't have God's blessings. You don't have God's peace. You won't have God's rest if you flee to go somewhere else when it's not God's will. I don't like it here under the Babylonians. Well, your forefathers sure made a bad decision to go into idolatry. Unfortunately, you reap the consequences, but God says, listen, I'm still not done with you. I'll be with you. I'll rescue you. I'll protect you. My friend today, as you think on these truths, I'll have to finish it up next week. Israel's history is very similar to many Christians' lives. God begins to do something great in your life. Some wealth comes. Some comfort comes. You begin to forget about some of the basic initial things you need to do. And then you go into that area 
In all your comfort, you go into idolatry and you begin to forget about how good God is. Forget about the importance in idolatry and you lose God's blessings. As we think about all these truths today, Israel would, uh, this repeat cycle of idolatry and leaving the Lord. Let me pray and I'll, then I'll dismiss here for a few minutes until we come to our 11 o'clock hour. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for being our gracious Savior. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to be found faithful. Lord, help us not to resist the the words that are said to us, but Father, I pray that we'd submit. Father, if our nation was to fall, Lord, we'll just still serve you no matter what. Our confidence does not lie in the government. Our confidence lies in the eternal God. If we die, we die. If we live, we live under the Lord. Lord, may that be the motto of our lives. We sure love you and thank you for your grace. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.